Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. Our current teaching series is on Philippians, a letter written to a church for whom Paul had a clear affection about how to find the joy of the Lord amidst whatever comes our way. It felt like a poignant moment to stop and see this stuff, and we hope it helps. Welcome, good morning, nice to have you with us. We're back in the dining room, and we have a new addition. He's up here, his name here, there. His name is Phil, he's a pumpkin. Uh, welcome, Phil. You're here on your own terms. Uh, anyway, now I know we have politics on our minds, don't we? It's two days away from uh, the election for the president. Um, but to give us a bit of respite, I'm not actually going to focus primarily on politics today, although I will talk about it. I want to focus on something much, 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 much more important, and that is heaven. Specifically heaven here and now. Now, it's not to say that the election and uh, politics is not important, it's just to say that this is more important. And hopefully, uh, the more we talk about heaven, the more we will understand ourselves as Christians, as citizens of heaven here and now, uh, how we can kind of fit in this cultural moment uh, and what comes of the next few days and weeks in terms of politics in this country and further afield. So, heaven today it is. Uh, and we're going to do this as we carry on uh, in the book of Philippians, as Ben so brilliantly introduced to us last week. Now, I think um, my friend James, who spoke a few weeks ago, actually about politics, and you can find his talk on, online if you'd like to, um, very well worth a um, revisit in this moment. But I think he mentioned something uh, which I kind of uh, want to reiterate, which is in the UK, we do not have a culture of bumper stickers. We just don't. I know that they're kind of a big deal here, and particularly given that it's election season, there seem to be a lot of them. And I said I wasn't going to talk about politics much, but I did quite like uh, one that I saw recently, which rather than saying uh, Trump, Pence or Biden, Harris, said um, any functioning adult 2020. I thought that was funny. Anyway, I know you don't really care about what British people think about politics. You know, look at our country, a hot mess. Well, it's not really hot. It's kind of drizzling and cold, uh, lukewarm and probably not a mess. That's a bit too aggressive just sort of general untidiness. That's Britain. Anyway, back to bumper stickers. Um, I, because we don't have this culture of bumper stickers, I had to Google one that I kept seeing um, because I didn't know what it meant. And it was N-O-T-W. I'm sure this has been around for a long time and everyone knows what it means, but I didn't. So I had to Google it and I found out that the acronym N-O-T-W is a Christian one. And because it's Christian, obviously the T has to be in the shape of a cross because, you know, we wouldn't want to let that pass by. Pass by. Anyway, NOTW stands for Not of This World. And I was driving a few weeks ago up Los Feliz Boulevard, and it was that horrible kind of sense of traffic of start and stop and really accelerating and really brake, that sort of thing. And as I was driving, suddenly this 2004 Toyota Sienna minivan in uh, um, kind of this horrible shade of red came screeching past me and cut me up and on the back of it it had N-O-T-W and so I leant out of the window and I screamed hey buddy you're not of that world yet you're still of this world and while you're still of this world you better learn to drive 
And also, your theology is really bad. Now, of course, I didn't say that. I'm British. We don't do things like that. Instead, I just sort of gripped onto the wheel tightly and thought that. And then actually I thought, this will make a great sermon illustration. Write that down. But the question is, and the point is, is that true? Is it true that we as Christians are not of this world? Well, yes and also no. Yes, we are citizens of heaven now. If we were to open up our spiritual passports, they would say, citizen of heaven. But they would also say, resident of earth. And as residents of earth, what we do here actually really does matter, particularly, mate, how you drive. But also how we vote, what we do with our money, how we use our gifts, how we pray, what we do with all of our time and resources. In fact, the Bible is really clear. Heaven, God's kingdom, his rule and his reign, uh, is not some sort of eternal harp-playing tedium up in the clouds somewhere uh, that we're sort of whisked away to when we die. It is here and now. Heaven has come to earth and it is continuing to come to earth in greater degrees and one day it will fully not just come to earth but take over the whole earth. So, with this in mind, make America great and actually whoever you pick to make America great and whatever you think greatness is, that concept, I just don't think that God's really that interested in it. Which is not to say that he's not interested in all the people of America. Of course he is, deeply, more than we could ever understand. And I also need to say again, I'm British, you don't really care what I think about politics. But actually make America great, or make Britain great, or make Afghanistan great, or, or whatever. None of that is actually anywhere near aspirational enough for our God. We are aiming way too low in his terms. These are actually, to him, kind of relatively trifling matters, make whichever country great. He's into something much, much bigger. He's into the whole world, not just making it great, whatever great means, but making it heaven. Make earth heaven again, that is his slogan, and it should be our slogan too. And because this is true, because we are citizens of heaven, it's why we are actually always going to find the political organisation here on earth deeply frustrating, because we're just not made for it. It is not who we are. Now, democracy is probably the um, best system that we're ever going to come up with. It seems to work kind of well. But we are just not made for democracy. We're made for a kingdom with just one king. But when we fully embrace this, when we fully embrace what that actually means for us, and this is the great news, it sets us free. Not to escape this world and its politics, but to redeem it. To know that it really, really does matter, but that something else matters so much more. We're made for something much bigger, him. Him and his kingdom here on earth. So. As we begin, let us hear Paul talk a little bit about this from a jail cell in Rome to the Philippians, carrying on in chapter 1, read by Joe. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers 
and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Thank you very much, uh, Joe. So what has happened to Paul, to give you a little bit of context, is that he has been arrested in Rome and uh, thrown in prison, and he is now awaiting trial. And he's chained all day, every night, to a Roman guard. Uh, they're literally four hours, uh, stretches at a time, one Roman guard handcuffed to the Apostle Paul. I mean, can you think of anything worse? Four hours, nowhere to go, literally chained to Paul, the greatest evangelist who's ever lived, what is he going to talk about for hours and hours and hours? Poor, poor Roman guards. Paul, please, we get it. We understand the whole Jesus thing. Yes, very interesting. But do you talk about anything else? Is there anything we could talk about? Do you like fish? What do you think of my sandals? How do you wear your toga? Just anything. I will talk about anything. But at the same time, also, imagine being chained to Paul and listening to him. You know, this is whatever else you think about Paul. An incredible intellect uh, and uh, a great orator, uh, a rhetorician. He, you know, he can write a speech. He could speak. He could tell a story. Uh, and the stories, you know, uh, he's met the risen Jesus. Tell me about that, Paul. And what about, oh, yeah, and I found this guy who was dead and then I prayed for him and he came back to life again. Or I fed multitudes, oh, sorry, I, I healed multitudes of people by just praying for them in Jesus' name. And I was in prison and I was praying and then there was this miraculous earthquake and the doors flung wide and all our chains fell off. I mean, compelling stories, right? No wonder, as Paul actually mentions, the whole of this God is an emperor's God, people he would never have access to in any other circumstances, they all became Christians. I mean, it's probably the most inevitable thing that would happen. Anyway, nevertheless, Paul is in prison and he's awaiting trial. And there is every chance that this trial is going to end in execution. And so what he is preparing himself and in fact preparing his friends in Philippi for is um, these two potential outcomes. This is why he's writing. It could be that he's freed and he can go return and see them again, which he longs to do. But it's also um, that he could well be um, sentenced to death and executed. And for his part, if it were his choice, he'd actually find it quite difficult. As he says, verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's also more necessary for you that I stay in the body. It's extraordinary, isn't it, to have this attitude? Because he's not saying, I just want to die. I can't bear it any longer. The pain, the uncertainty, the persecution, the imprisonment, just get me out of here. I want to go and be with Christ. But he's also not saying, I don't want to die. I'm scared. I like life. Just set me free so that I can go back to my family and my people and do what I want to do. Please, um, please, I don't want to die. He doesn't say, 
either of those things because he doesn't want to avoid death and he doesn't want to avoid life. He wants both and he'd be overjoyed with either. He is torn between the two, not as like two, uh, the lesser of two evils, but as this sort of joyful, wonderful win-win dilemma. And remember, he is saying, as I said, all of this in prison, experiencing suffering, knowing that he may be executed. Suffering is very real for Paul. He does not make light of it. He does not belittle it, and neither should we. Suffering is real. One of the things that has come out of this political situation that we are in over the last few months, uh, particularly for people who um, maybe have never really experienced anything close to suffering or uh, suffering at all, is the reality that, which lots of people have known very well, that people are suffering in this country all the time and have been for a very long time. And that really uh, a lot of these votes are life and death votes, actually. So let us be Christians. Let us have full compassion for those who suffer. Let us not minimize their pain. Let us look to alleviate, alleviate it. Vote not for yourselves. Vote for those who are most vulnerable. Because suffering is real. And Paul knew it very well. And yet... Paul, whilst he's so sure of the beauty of what lies beyond death that he can say uh, to die is gain, he is also so certain of the joy and wonder of life before death that even in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this persecution, he can say to live is Christ. Because what Paul knows is that heaven for him is right now. And what Paul also knows is that heaven for him will also be in the future. And he wants both. So really, what Paul's doing in this most famous of verses is lay out what is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. He is defining life, and the definition of life is one that is so full of joy and hope and peace that it allows anyone who lives like that, who actually embraces this life, to face anything that might come against them, however bad, however good. And don't we want that? I know I do. To be able to sort of be part of this world, fully part of this world, fully engaged, not trying to escape it, and yet not buffeted from side to side by things that are happening to us or to, to the world. To know that there is something more, that we are more grounded than just our circumstances. So how do we get it? Well, I think by doing two things, which are both quite simple. Firstly, by believing in salvation. And secondly, by receiving salvation. Believing, receiving, they rhyme, it must be true. Firstly, believing in salvation. The key to this comes um, from understanding uh, this verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, deliverance is not actually a great translation. The actual word in the Greek is salvation. Um, and the reason it's salvation is Paul is kind of doing a bit of a play on words. Now, he does, I think, believe that he is going to be set free, as he inevitably is. Um, so he's not going to be in prison, he's not going to be executed. So he's sort of saying, I do think this is going to work out for my actual physical salvation. But really what he's actually saying is, this is going to work out for my spiritual salvation. 
is that it's that through his trials, in fact, actually through his whole life, through good and bad, God is saving him. Ongoingly, salvation is a process, which is, and I can already hear you through the camera, you good Baptists, making you feel a little bit anxious. Because, wait a second, once saved, always saved, it's a finished act, which is of course true, but it's only half the story. For Paul, and in fact the whole of the New Testament, salvation exists not just in the past as a finished act, but also so too in the present and actually ongoingly in the future. The classic formulation of this, which I've actually slightly adapted to make it more accurate and better, you're welcome, is this. Salvation, uh, we've been saved from the price of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin altogether. Past, present, future. Through Jesus' death, we have been saved from the price of sin, and the price of sin is separation from God. Sin and him cannot coexist. And now, despite what you may have heard in Sunday school, sin cannot be reduced simply to our moral behaviour. It includes that, of course, but it has got a far wider scope than that. It encompasses everything that is wrong with the world. A little lie here, the destruction of the planet there. Greed, earthquakes, cancer, adultery, it's all part of the same thing. But in Jesus, we have been saved from the price of sin, separation from him, our own sin and everyone else's. No longer distanced from him, we can actually be one with God, the whole purpose of life. Now, no one has to receive this, um, what Jesus has done, but it stands there at the centre of the universe, emanating from Calvary for all people, for all time and in all places, always going out from that place. And why you wouldn't want to be one with God, why you wouldn't want to be known by God and to know God, I do not know, but you know, everyone to their own. But in order to experience this oneness with him, we just have to receive it, as Jesus says. Repent, turn away from the way you were going and go the other way, which is basically to say, um, uh, ex uh, believe and accept in who Jesus is. Repent, turn around, and also just believe. Believe he is who he says he is and that he has done this, that he has paid that price, that he has um, taken that price off our heads and allowed us to live with him again. So we've been saved from the price of sin, but also, and this is what Paul actually means here when he's talking about it, we'll carry on for my salvation, we are ongoingly being saved from the power of sin. Because the effects of this sort of cosmic universal disease called sin continue, but they are diminished throughout the life of the Christian to the extent by which we allow Jesus to carry on this saving process in us, in short, allowing him to make us more like him. This is what Paul is so excited about, because this is heaven on earth. To live is Christ, to become more and more Christ-like. It's got nothing to do with circumstances. He could be chained to a guard, or he could be free to travel around evangelizing wherever he wants to. It does not matter, because more fundamental than even his calling to plant churches, more fundamental than his uh, call to, um, to preach the good news to everyone, is um, this idea of continuing to be saved, to become freer and freer of the power of, son, of sin, not sin, 
to become more like Jesus, to be more heavenly, to have, in Paul's language, Christ. This is where peace and joy and hope come from, for us all to be able to say, to live is Christ, whatever else is going on. Now, I've gone through various stages through lockdown of kind of resigning myself to having to adapt to how we do church. And I'll be honest with you, it has not always been very easy. In fact, I found it very difficult because I don't feel called to leading church online. I feel called to leading church offline, in person. That's why we came here. This is what we were called to do. And I do want to reiterate that we are looking into all the ways that we can meet again in person as safely as we can, as soon as we possibly can. But um, the point is... uh, I've become more and more frustrated, more and more annoyed when my focus has been on the circumstances um, uh, of um, not being able to do um, what we are called to do. I've realised that something good, actually something quite godly, to lead a church, to establish and plant a church, to grow a church, has actually become my whole reason for being. And so it is, for me, less to live is Christ, and more to live is to lead a church. And not just actually to lead a church, but to lead a church in specific ways where we actually get to meet with people and COVID doesn't exist. Now, this has quickly become pretty crippling of me, because when our goal is not Christ, circumstances dictate everything, and the circumstances right now aren't very good. So I'm crippled, and I know many of us will be um, feeling exactly the same thing, thwarted in our attempts to actually fulfill what we feel called to do, to use our gifts, to be the people that we have created to be, and to, to fulfill our purposes in life. I'm sure we have been feeling these various things in lots of degrees. The problem, though, is not our circumstances. It is our, our focus and our goal. And I think actually this could happen with anything, not just with our careers or our calling or our purpose in life. It can happen, I'm sure, like um, me, you would have experienced similar things to not to live as Christ, but to live as friends or to live as family or to live as career or to live as experiences or whatever. Right now, if we're really honest with ourselves, how often has our mantra actually been... um, in these weeks or months or years, whatever, to live is political justice. These are all noble, good and godly things, but they're not the thing. The thing is him. So firstly, believe. Believe that he is who we are for and believe that he has given himself to ongoingly redeem you to make you more and more heavenly, to, more and more, to be more and more Christ-like, uh, to actually have more and more of him. Believe it, and secondly, receive it from him. Verse 19 again. I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So belief in God's saving work and his salvation kind of gets us to the gates of heaven on earth. It lets us see all that heaven holds for us, joy and peace and hope. But receiving that salvation through God's provision of the Holy Spirit lets us walk right in and feast on it. 
it f allows us to kind of fill our bellies with the goodness of heaven, the joy and the peace and the hope. I was um, listening to a friend of mine talk about how um, his experience of, sort of coming to bread to the church uh, a few years ago. Now, he was brought up in a Christian home, good Christian parents, uh, church going, um, but he was finding it more and more difficult as he'd grown up, which is actually a common experience for it to be um, really real for him. Uh, it, sort of church and faith had become a bit of an obligation, kind of his parents' thing, carrying on doing that, knowing it's probably true, but not actually having much of a, an experience of, of a life to it. He walked into um, Bread when it was actually pretty small on the west side, and I remember this quite well because there weren't very many people there, and he was a new guy. Um, but at the, big, at the end of that service, he came up for prayer, having never really been prayed for in this way before, and he was just there weeping, um, experiencing the Spirit in real power. Now, he later said he wasn't totally sure whether that was just because he was hungover, and perhaps this was some sort of reaction, but he found it compelling, and he kept coming back, and kept coming up for prayer, and actually had a number of very powerful experiences of the Spirit. And what he was saying was this has changed everything now I get it this is what church is about this is what um, uh, Christianity is about this is what our faith is about it has brought life and joy and it's completely changed everything from being dull and obligatory um, and hard to being joyful and fun uh, and with life because that's what the Spirit does. That's what he does to us. And Paul knows this well, that he can believe everything that he um, says. And obviously we can say that too. In theory, of course we can all say, yes, to live as Christ and to die as again. Of course we believe that. But Paul doesn't just believe it. He knows it. He experiences it. He has it coursing through his body. Why? Because he has received prayer and he's received the Spirit ongoingly over and over again. He says throughout the New Testament, Ephesians in particular, be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is life. And without life, we will just become dry and bored and shriveled. With life, we will be able to say, yes, this is heaven now. This is, despite all circumstances, however good life is, however bad it is, this is what we're made for. So, to end, let me say, is your heart a rejoicing one? Because this is the sign, as Paul says right at the beginning, I'm rejoicing. I will rejoice, because rejoicing is the language of life. If it's not, and let's all be honest, it's been hard, hasn't it, in these, um, in these times, with everything that's going on. It is hard to be uh, people who rejoice, who have joy flowing in them. And yet, at the same time, the Spirit is poured out without measure. As Jesus says, how much more will my Father give the Spirit to everyone who asks? Luke 11. How much more? Will my Father give the Spirit to everyone who asks? Not those who are trouble-free, not to those who have their whole lives in order, not to those who um, don't have any questions or who may have compromised themselves in lots of different ways, but to just anyone who asks. So if you are anyone who asks, which you can be just by asking, He will pour the Spirit out on you now. So as you sit or stand as you listen to this, why don't you just close your eyes? 
Hold out your hands as a sign of being open and let me encourage you to pray for the Spirit to meet you now, to fill you with his life. Believe that God wants Christ for you and let him fill you with his presence. Come Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We commit all the things of this world to your hands. We ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in the heavenlies. That heaven would come to earth. And we ask that you would fill us, your people, with your presence once more. Let us become more like Christ. Let us be changed. Let us be redeemed. Let your salvation work carry on in us now and forevermore. Amen. So uh, Ben and uh, the guys are going to play a song uh, just as a way of helping us respond to God. I would just use this as a way of allowing the Spirit to meet you. And then, as always, we will have um, Zoom prayer ministry happening in a minute. Four o'clock, serve the city. Have a great week. Enjoy all that is to come. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. In the glory I find rest for my soul in the I love